Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. We begin tonight with breaking news on the ground and aboard Air Force One. The president making headlines tonight, breaking his silence on Stormy Daniels, speaking out for the first time about the $130,000 hush money payment his own lawyer made to Daniels. Talking about his embattled and critics say ethically challenged EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. We also have new reporting on that. Sources telling us the president has actually been considering Pruitt, despite the allegations, to replace Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The president denies it. The president also returned to key campaign themes today, immigration, alleged voter fraud and more uttering, as you'll see, a whole string of red meat slogans that also happen to be factually untrue. We want to begin with the president for the first time talking about the hush money facilitated by Michael Cohen to keep Daniels quiet. Today aboard Air Force One, the president was asked by a reporter and he answered. Well, both Daniels and a former Playboy model, Karen McDougal, have alleged affairs with then-citizen Donald Trump. But until today, the president has always refused to answer questions about either woman. Thank you all very much. Mr. President, any comment on Mrs. McDougal? Will you watch 60 Minutes on Sunday, Mr. President? Will you watch 60 Minutes, Mr. President? Mr. President, are you going to watch 60 Minutes? Well, in the past, he's left it up to the White House spokespeople to try to answer. They've never said any more about uh, them than variations on this. Look, the president has addressed these directly and um, made very well clear that uh, none of these allegations are true. The president has denied the allegations. The president strongly clearly and uh, has consistently denied these underlying uh, claims. I would refer you to the president's outside counsel. I haven't spoken with him about that specifically. The president has denied these allegations, uh, and I don't have anything else further to add on that front. I I believe I've addressed this question pretty extensively, uh, and ongoing litigation, I'm not going to comment any further than I already have. So now the president has broken his silence, denying any knowledge of the money paid, the hush agreement, and putting it all on his attorney, Michael Cohen. Now, we wanted to ask Mr. Cohen directly, of course, reached out to invite him on the program tonight. We've yet to hear back. Joining us now is Ms. Daniels' attorney, Michael Avenatti. So, Michael, I mean, on the face of it, the president's comments seem to back up what Michael Cohen has been saying all along. You tweeted out earlier that this makes your case stronger. How so? Well, it's a great night for us, uh, Anderson. It's like Christmas and Hanukkah all rolled into one. Uh, you can't have an agreement if one party claims they knew nothing about the, one of the principal terms of the agreement. 
So the president has just shot himself in the foot, uh, thrown his attorney, basically, uh, Michael Cohen, under the bus in the process, put him in dire straits with the State Bar of New York, because according to the president now, Mr. Cohen was negotiating this agreement and doing this all on his own without consultation with the president. We don't necessarily believe that, by the way, and we're going to test the veracity or truthfulness um, of the statement. But, you know, Anderson, we knew sooner or later he was going to crack. This is a a man that is not disciplined. Uh, He's not a disciplined client. Uh, And we knew sooner or later it was going to happen. We were patient. And lo and behold, the gift came from the heaven this afternoon when he responded to this question on Air Force One, which he should have never responded to. He should have left it alone. And now he's put himself and he's put Mr. Cohen in a world of hurt. Well, I I want to read you a statement that Michael Cohen's friend and attorney in another matter, David Schwartz, you know well, released in response to what the president said. He said, quote, this is an accurate assessment of the facts. This is exactly what I've been saying all along. Michael Cohen made the payment to protect reputation, family and business. It had nothing to do with the election. Now, you obviously believe that, you know, it's no coincidence this was done 11 days before the election. If the president is right and he didn't know about the payment and Mr. Cohen did this in fact, as a in-kind campaign contribution, that would be a violation of election laws, correct? Uh, correct. And Michael Cohen could face felony charges in connection with that um, and could face serious, serious problems. And Anderson, I think what we've seen over the last seven to 14 days is uh, an effort to effectively put Michael Cohen in the crosshairs. Uh, the president and others are putting a lot of weight on this man's shoulders, and they better hope that he holds up. Because if he doesn't hold up under questioning by me or Mr. Mueller, um, if he caves, the president and the administration should be, could be in a very, very bad place. They could pierce the attorney-client we- privilege uh, based on the crime fraud exception. They are putting Michael Cohen in the crosshairs, Anderson. It's, it's clear as day, and I don't think it's going to work out well. You you talk about uh, interviewing Michael Cohen. You obviously want to depose the president as well. Your motion to do that, um, and uh, you can correct me on on the the legalities of this or the legal terminology, essentially the judge um, declined or said it was premature to rule on that because uh, the other side had not filed their motion. They have now filed. So are you going to refile that motion to depose the president and uh, and Michael Cohen? Absolutely. As we said, when we got the judge's order, we were going to wait for them to file their motion to compel arbitration. They filed it on Monday. This next Monday, we're going to be filing our opposition to that motion together with a motion to take the deposition of the president and Michael Cohen, uh, a two-hour deposition of each. And we're going to get to the bottom of what happened here relating to this payment, relating to the agreement, et cetera. You know, Anderson, it's one thing to answer a question as you board Air Force One uh, and potentially deceive the press. It's a completely different story when you're placed under oath and you have to raise your right hand and actually attest to things. I mean, we saw that with Bill Clinton. We've seen that with other politicians in years past. History teaches us that those things are vastly different, if you will. But make no mistake about it. Um, Our case just got a whole lot better. We knew the day would come. I just didn't know it would come this quickly. Well, Michael Cohen's side through through Schwartz has said that you're not going to be deposing them because this is going to be the judge is going to push this to arbitration because that's what the NDA called for. Well, David Schwartz, uh, let me just put this kindly. He doesn't know what he's talking about. 
the fact of the matter is, by way of the motion to compel arbitration, the Federal Arbitration Act is very clear that if the other side contests the existence of the agreement, which is what we are doing, we're entitled to a jury trial on that question. And that's before the court makes any determination as to whether the case goes to arbitration. And in fact, when the judge issued his decision calling our motion premature, the judge backed us up on that point and bolded it in his order. Um, and yet, yet again, they stepped right into it. They went ahead and filed their motion anyway, which I consider to be a legal blunder. We're going to get a jury trial on the question of whether there was an agreement, and we're going to get discovery in the lead-up to that jury trial, and we're going to find out what the president knew, when he knew it, and what he did about it. We're going to place both of these gentlemen under oath. Michael Abinati, appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Let's get some perspective now from CNN legal analyst Mark Garagos, as well as Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. Mark, I'm wondering what, you, what kind of an impact you think the president's statement today might have on this case, if any. I think Michael's spot on. I was actually waiting for how long before he was going to get to it, and he got to it right towards the end, um, that you've got a whole uh, truck load of uh, ways to get to kind of get into the attorney-client privilege. I think he's absolutely right that now there's a real question as to whether there's an agreement. I didn't think they had a whole lot of hope in that area, but I think they do, and I think they're in a much better spot today than they were yesterday. Well, explain why you think it's a better spot today. When he tells the reporters... I didn't know about it or something to that effect, and then go talk to my lawyer. That's a one-two punch. I didn't know anything about it is an admission that he wasn't a party to the agreement. And go talk to my lawyer is an invitation to go to drive right into the attorney-client privilege. So it's a, in just that one simple statement, the president took a case that was extremely difficult for Michael to make, and he just helped him make it. Susan, do you agree with that? I mean, for weeks, the president has refused to answer any questions at all regarding Stormy Daniels. Why do you think he chose to do that today? You know, I don't think he chose to do that today. I don't think he came back with the intention of answering that question. I think uh, if he had thought thought about it, his plan would have been not to answer the question as he has not, as he has declined to do uh, over and over again in the last couple of weeks. I think what happens was he got back, uh, came back on Air Force One because he wanted to talk about other things. And reporters being reporters, they ask about the things the person doesn't actually want to answer. Uh, and very difficult in those close quarters to do what, to pretend you can't hear it. I think that's why he spoke so briefly. That's just a 25-second clip from start to end uh, with the president's comments. Uh, but it, he, it, I, I think, I believe he just felt compelled to, to, to respond to something that the White House has spent almost a month convincing him he must not talk about in public. So the, I'll leave it to the legal experts what the legal consequences of this could be. But I think politically speaking, this is a, this is a kind of turning point because the president has now addressed this with clear answers that the other side is going to contest as being untrue. You know, Mark, the judge's previous ruling on Avenatti's motion to depose, saying it was premature, um, you know, the, clearly Cohen wants this just in arbitration. The president wants this in our arbitration. The judge's ruling was not merit-based. Do you believe uh, Michael Avenatti is correct when he says he's going to get a jury trial on uh, this question of an arbitration? I don't know that he's necessarily going to get a jury trial, but he's a lot closer to surviving um, and not having this compelled arbitration. And I mean a lot closer than he was yesterday. 
The idea that he's just conceded, the president is telling the press, basically telling the American people that he didn't know about it. Um, you know that how then how can he come in at this point and tell a federal judge? Uh, by the way, I want to be a party to an agreement I knew nothing about. You just, I mean, legally, it's a very difficult position. As much as the law favors com- compelling arbitration, this may be one of those cases where a judge just says. I can't do it. There's a there's enough of a doubt there that we're going to let somebody, a fact finder, make that decision. Susan, now that the president has spoken out on this, do you think he can then remain quiet or do you do you expect more from him? Well, uh, you know, the, the president, uh, I think, on most issues likes to speak out, especially when he feels like he's under attack. And it's been the anomaly with Stormy Daniels that he hasn't spoken, either spoken or tweeted about her uh, despite this barrage of attacks that she and her lawyers have made in the in, very interesting interview that that you, that you did a week ago, so um, I, I think his instinct is to punch back, uh, and maybe it become maybe becomes more likely to do that in the wake of having kind of broken ground today with the exchange on Air Force One. But I don't think I don't think we know because I think it is pretty clear that his advisors, his lawyers, do not think this is a great idea. Hmm. Susan Page, uh, Mark Aragos, great to have you on both. Thank you very much. Coming up next, late reporting on EPA Chief Scott Pruitt and how he's somehow both reportedly on the brink of losing his job over ethical concerns and also, according to our sources, under consideration, recent consideration by the president to replace Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Later, local Texas sheriff weighs in on the president's border talk, the wall, and the idea of keeping troops on the border until the wall is built. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. There's breaking news tonight about a member of President Trump's cabinet whose job has been reported to be in jeopardy for weeks now. Yet at the same time as new and potentially damaging details emerge about some of EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt's alleged ethical problems and it seems his appetite for VIP treatment, CNN is learning that the president has also been weighing the possibility of making him the nation's top law enforcement official. That's right. People close to the president say he has been thinking about naming him attorney general of the United States. Now, in a moment, the president's latest public statements on Pruitt late today aboard Air Force One, which add yet another layer to this story. But if the underlying report is still holds, it means that as recently as this week, the president has been thinking about firing Jeff Sessions, who, as you know, he holds a grudge against for, among other things, recusing himself from the Russia investigation. Now, earlier today, White House spokesman Hogan Gidley said, and I'm quoting, I can't speak to the future of Scott Pruitt. Later aboard Air Force One, the president did just that. I think that uh, Scott has done a fantastic job. I think he's a fantastic person. Uh, I, you know, I just left. I just left cold and energy country. They love Scott Crow. They feel very strongly about Scott Crow, and they love Scott Crow. 
Let's get more on the breaking news uh, from one of the correspondents who broke the story, CNN's Pamela Brown, who joins us now from the White House. So explain what you've learned about the president and Pruitt. Uh, well, Anderson, we've learned that as recently as this week, the president floated replacing Attorney General Sessions with embattled EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, even as Pruitt faced this growing list of negative headlines about ethics concerns. In fact, one source I spoke with said the president was trying to protect Pruitt as his fill-in for Sessions. Now, the president is known to float several people a day for multiple positions in his administration that are already occupied, but this proposition this week reveals how confident he has remained in Pruitt, despite a number of ethics issues. Now, Pruitt has remained in Trump's good graces for the most part, though a source who is familiar with the matter said the president's confidence in him has faltered some since earlier this week in light of the ethics issues that continue to surface. Now, he is hesitant, however, to fire him because he likes entertaining this idea of replacing Sessions with him eventually and feels confident that will continue to advance, that he will continue to advance his agenda at the EPA. Now, aboard Air Force One today, the president maintained that Pruitt has done a fantastic job, that he needs to look at those reports, though, uh, raising these ethics concerns. Reports, Anderson, that have been out uh, since last week in our reporting is that he did watch Pruitt's interview with Fox News about the revelations and that he wasn't happy with his performance. So he is aware of what's going on. Uh, the president also saying aboard Air Force One today that he doesn't have plans to switch Pruitt from his role. But as we know, the president has said similar things about other cabinet members and then has done the opposite of what he said he would do. And he's also repeatedly complained about firing many in his administration, in this case Sessions, and it doesn't necessarily mean that he will. Anderson. And as far as the chief of staff, Kelly and others in the White House go, do you know their feelings on this? Well, Kelly has a different posture toward this, I'm told. Um, he does not have the same level of confidence in Pruitt that the president does. And, and in fact, he had advocated to fire him before the headlines got worse. I'm told by a source that he called Pruitt on Tuesday morning and basically said, if there's anything else out there, we need to know. You better tell me. Uh, and I'm told that the interviews that Pruitt did uh, with Fox News, the Washington Examiner, only made matter worse, matters worse that the White House had told him not to come out and do these interviews. He did them anyway, um, as we know. And I'm told from sources that if these negative headlines about him continue to come out, that could be very problematic for Pruitt. Anderson. All right, Pam, stick around. I want to bring in a CNN political commentator, Ryan Liz, into the discussion. What does this say, Ryan, you think about the president's thinking right now that he was not only considering firing Sessions, but also promoting Pruitt, who's facing this, obviously, this growing list of ethics concerns right now? Yeah, it, it seems, Anderson, that he, uh, the president can't decide whether he should get rid of Pruitt or give him a promotion. And that Pruitt, with these ethical issues, is sort of, you know, thwarting this plan that the, the president seems to uh, be bandying about. You know, there are a lot of uh, issues, um, legal issues, with whether, even if, even if Pruitt didn't have any of these other issues and, and Trump wanted to replace Sessions with Pruitt, it's not totally clear that he could even do it, right? If you fire the attorney general, um, normally the, the next in line moves up as the acting attorney general until someone is uh, appointed and confirmed by the Senate, right? And that would be Rod Rosenstein. Rosenstein. I don't know if Trump would, uh, would want him in that role. So Trump's whole plan here is built on a sort of legally tenuous argument that he could use something called the, you know, use a, the Vacancies Act to put Truett in place of sessions. It's not, it's clear that that would, uh, that that would be challenged. And then there are all sorts of issues of whether Pruitt 
um, would have to recuse himself from, from, the, from the Russia investigation, right, uh, which would thwart the sort of idea behind this, um, not to mention, would Mueller uh, view firing Sessions as another act in his, uh, uh, in his case of obstruction of justice, similar to uh, how the, the firing of James Comey uh, uh, is being investigated for obstruction of justice. So um, hmm. I think there are a lot of reasons that this plan might not get off the ground. Uh, you know, and, and of course, Pruitt being mired in this scandal makes it even more unlikely. But the fact that Trump is thinking about it and that he is obsessed with this idea of getting rid of Sessions, that he would, eat, you know, that he would still consider this tells you something. Yeah, I mean, Pamela, if the president did replace uh, Sessions with with Pruitt, could Pruitt then fire special counsel Mueller? Because Pruitt wouldn't have to recuse himself. Or, I, I mean, Ryan said he maybe would have to recuse himself, but it's not clear if he would have to recuse himself from the Russian investigation that Sessions has. That's right. I mean, hypothetically, if this plan were to, to take off and he did become the attorney general, he would then uh, oversee the probe if he didn't have to recuse himself. And therefore, he could fire uh, Robert Mueller. Um, as Ryan pointed out, there are several reasons why this all may not work out. I mean, just even getting a confirmation uh, in and of itself would be difficult. Those There are the other factors at play. But I think what this shows beyond just the fact that, that you know, that this is out there, that the president has floated this, is that he isn't that bothered by the allegations surrounding Pruitt. Mm. Um, he was floating this earlier yeah. this week amid these uh, growing allegations, the scandals surrounding Pruitt. So if anything, it shows even if he's not serious about it, because it's tough to, to take his temperature on the seriousness of it, considering how much he floats names for cabinet officials, that kind of thing. It shows that he really hasn't been that bothered by the allegations, Anderson. You know, Ryan, what's also interesting about this, I mean, again, this obsession with Jeff Sessions and his anger at Jeff Sessions and the public humiliation he's, he's you know, directed toward Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions has actually been among his cabinet secretaries executing the president's policies very effectively throughout the judiciary. I mean, he's, he's you know, he's not only one of the president's earlier supporters on the campaign trail, but he's actually pushing the president's agenda hard at the Justice Department. Absolutely. I think that's why a lot of Republicans like Sessions. If you look at immigration, civil rights, across a whole spectrum of issues, Sessions is more Trump than Trump. Um, we all know that the president is not nearly as... Ide- he's not an ideologue, right? He has his views, but he cares about frankly, himself and the legal jeopardy he is in far more than any, um, you know, any conservative policies that that Sessions uh, is pushing. I mean, one one theory about this is that he wants Sessions to resign so that he can very cleanly use the vacancy. He theoretically could use the Vacancies Act to fill that role. The, the, the legal question is, if he fires Sessions, can he do that? So Trump pushing Sessions to resign gives him a stronger hand to replace him with a, with a hand-picked uh, temporary successor. Um, so that's one theory, is that, he, that his torture of Sessions is to, is to push him out without having to fire him. Mm. Ryan Lizza, Pamela Brown, appreciate it. Thanks very much. Now, as we've heard uh, tonight, President Trump is in full-throated support of his EPA chief, Scott Pruitt, at least he is tonight, when we continue a closer look at just why Pruitt is in so much trouble in the first place. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com CNN. 
is one of the president's most ardent enforcers. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt has won raves from conservatives for carrying out President Trump's agenda. And as we reported earlier, he was even being mentioned as a possible replacement for Attorney General uh, Sessions by the president, something the president himself denies. But as we've been discussing tonight, Mr. Pruitt is facing a dizzying number of ethics issues. Randy Kay tonight takes a look into his tenure to date at the EPA. On board Air Force One, the president is asked about his EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt. I think that uh, Scott has done a fantastic job. I think he's a fantastic person. A confidence boost from the president, despite the ethical questions hounding Pruitt. Just weeks after Pruitt took over at the EPA, he asked his security detail to turn on lights and sirens to avoid traffic. He was told no, that it was only for emergencies. Later, the head of his security detail was reassigned and replaced by a new agent who has since determined Pruitt needs to fly first class because of specific ongoing threats associated with his air travel. Which brings us to Pruitt's recent flight to see his home team play in the Rose Bowl and another trip with his family to Disneyland, all with his taxpayer-funded 24-7 security detail in tow. And there's more. The EPA boss was renting a condo in Washington, D.C. for just $50 a night and only paying when he slept there. Turns out that condo belongs to an Oklahoma couple that donated money to Pruitt's campaigns as a state official and lobbied his agency, too, on behalf of an Oklahoma energy company. The White House is looking into it, as well as a substantial pay hike of more than $80,000 given to two of Pruitt's employees. That should not have been Speaking to Fox on Wednesday, Pruitt suggested he had no role in his employees' pay hikes. I corrected the action. So and we are in the process of finding out how it took place. I did not know that they got the pay raises until yesterday. Pruitt's future, uncertain. I can't speak to the future of Scott Pruitt. Likely because Trump is torn about whether Pruitt, a loyal foot soldier, should stay or go. CNN country. has learned that many of Pruitt's supporters are in the president's ear telling him, this guy gets things done and that Pruitt's work at the EPA is far more important than draining the swamp. Among his accomplishments, rolling back a series of environmental regulations and advocating for Trump to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord. Pruitt himself, just this week, clearly trying to keep the president happy. This president has shown tremendous courage to say to the American people that America is going to be put first. Pruitt has aggressively pushed to repeal President Obama's clean power plan and weaken many of the EPA's clean air and water enforcement programs. The president likes Pruitt's progress on deregulation. I just left all the energy country. They love Scott Pruitt. They feel very strongly about Scott Pruitt, and they love Randy Kay joins us now. So Scott Pruitt has had some problems with those working for him at the, at the EPA as well. He certainly has, Anderson. He's having some real issues within his own agency. The New York Times is reporting tonight that a handful of EPA officials were reassigned, demoted, or requested new positions after they raised concerns about Pruitt. Their concerns, according to the paper, had to do with EPA spending on office furniture, first-class travel, uh, security details such as demands for a bulletproof vehicle. Uh, one of those EPA employees was reportedly an early hire in the Trump campaign, but was placed on administrative leave without pay after raising concerns about Pruitt, a spokesman for the EPA told the New York Times Anderson that the agency disputes those accusations. 
All right, Randy Kay, thanks very much. During that Air Force One chat with reporters, President Trump said he thinks between two and 4,000 National Guard troops will be deployed across the U.S.-Mexico border. Just ahead, Gary Tuckman talks with the Texas border sheriff who's backed the idea in the past, but now says he's not thrilled why he's against the move when we continue. I'm Andy Cass from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. In his brief session with reporters on board Air Force One today, President Trump didn't provide any details about where or when those National Guard troops will be deployed once plans are in place. Tonight, all the Pentagon will say is that the Guard will support Border Patrol agents. Both Presidents Bush and Obama sent National Guard troops in support roles to the border. Tonight, our Gary Tuckman travels to one Texas border area for a talk with a local sheriff who's seen it all before. Gary joins us now at the border. Gary? Anderson, we're in Maverick County, Texas. Behind me, the Rio Grande, and behind the Rio Grande, the nation of Mexico. You can see two men over there. They are not planning, as far as we know, to swim across here. They are fishermen who are fishing on their side of the Rio Grande. But this area, seven years ago, is where troops did come to watch over when the immigration problem got, the illegal immigration problem got very serious. Many people supported it back then, but we're finding in this county right now, there is a lot of people, there are a lot of people who are not supporting it, including the sheriff who doesn't want to see it happen. Tom Schmerber was a U.S. Border Patrol officer for more than a quarter century. Thank you. And now he's a sheriff, the top law enforcement officer in Texas's Maverick County on the Mexican border. Do you want to see the U.S. military come to your county to help patrol the border? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, I think that the Border Patrol are well-trained, uh, well-equipped. Uh, I don't think we need the military here on the border. Sheriff Schmerber did support the National Guard coming to the border under President Bush in 2006 and President Obama in 2010. He said the help was needed then, but things are different now. That was when we had groups coming in, groups of 20 and 30, uh, dope. Uh, but it, everything has changed. So you're saying that's not happening anymore in your county? It's not happening. It's not happening anymore. Uh, so when the White House says this is a crisis and that things are getting worse, your feeling is? Not, not here. Not in this county. The sheriff says illegal crossings have been dropping for the past decade here. And he attributes a big part of that to aggressive law enforcement in his county. Dob Cunningham's 800-acre Maverick County ranch is right on the border. Dob, how old are you? Um, be 84 this month. And what year did you move to this ranch? 1949. So that's almost 70 years. <laughs> Close to 70 years. 15 years old. Exactly, yeah. And I grew up right here and raised my daughter right here. His ranch is on the left side of the Rio Grande. The right side is Mexico. In the past, Dobb has given the military permission to stage troops and equipment on his property. He was asked to sign a form. We signed a release that uh, would allow them to come in without us, uh, I guess, suing them. And Dobb was grateful at the time. Climbing from the Rio Grande to Dobb Cunningham's ranch is not easy. You have to climb steep hillside, covered with thick vegetation and the occasional rattlesnake. But Cunningham says he's seen it happen thousands and thousands of times in the years he's lived here. However, like the sheriff, he says things are now different. We had groups of um, 20 or 30, up to 100 in a group. And they would come one group to three groups every day. 
Do you ever see groups that big anymore? No, no, definitely no. We don't really need uh, any help right now other than what the Border Patrol provides. There are certainly still plenty of people illegally crossing here, and this remains a drug smuggling route. But the sheriff says his department, combined with the Border Patrol, have it under control and cites the sad story of Ezequiel Hernandez Jr., an 18-year-old Texas high school student who was shot and killed in 1997 by a U.S. Marine who mistook him for an armed illegal immigrant. I'm afraid of that happening here, that uh, some soldier getting nervous with a weapon, seeing somebody, uh, one of my constituents, walking close to the border and uh, thinking that he's going to be a danger to the soldier, and the soldier might just fire in and shoot him. For now, the sheriff waits to see what happens next. As the governor... Has the White House reached out to you as a border sheriff to ne- tell you what's going on? Never. No, no information? No, 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 not, from the, not from Washington, D.C., not from Austin here, our capital, nobody. Gary, does the sheriff expect to get any notification from the governor or the White House that, that National Guard troops are coming to his county before they actually arrive? Anderson, the sheriff certainly thinks he's entitled to get advance notice, but he doesn't think he will get any advance notice, particularly in light of the fact that he's now been publicly exposed as a naysayer. He is a Democratic sheriff in a mostly Democratic county. I asked him if they did call him, the White House or the governor's office, what's the first thing he would say? And he told me he would tell them that this is a waste of money, that money should be used to hire more people for the sheriff's office, more people for the Border Patrol, more technology, and more equipment for the sheriff's office and the Border Patrol. Anderson. All right. Gary Tuckman, thanks. We'd like to hear from different uh, viewpoints. That Texas sheriff is one end of the spectrum when it comes to the deployment of those National Guard troops. On the other end is former Arizona Sheriff Paul Babu, who joins us now. Uh, sheriff, thanks very much for, for being with us. You hear what that sheriff of Maverick County Absolutely, says, that yeah. the Border Patrol are well-trained, well-equipped. What yes. do you make of that, and what's your opinion? Well, our Border Patrol heroes are well-trained and well-equipped. Uh, they're undermined, uh, not only by current law uh, with immigration, But the fact that those numbers pre-election to uh, Trump, those numbers are returning. We saw a 70, almost 80 percent decrease in illegal entries after Trump was elected because he was saying he was going to build the wall. He was going to enforce the law. Uh, Many in his cabinet, namely uh, Jeff Sessions and Secretary Kelly at the time, said we're going to add all resources to the border. So that had a real impact uh, because people south of the border, namely the coyotes who were escorting uh, those who were being brought illegally into the country and drug smugglers understood that, hey, there's a different president. There's a different approach. There will be consequences that are real if you break the law and enter into the United States. Uh, Now we're seeing a probing of that, a testing of that, if you will, uh, when you see this caravan that's coming up from Honduras with the uh, 1,000 to 1,200 that uh, are down near Mexico City, and to see what happens as they approach and and look to request either refugee or asylum status uh, to come into the United States. So but you view that as a as a probe. I mean, apprehensions at the border are at their lowest level since since 1971. And obviously, most illegal immigrants, you know, immigration occurs from people overstaying their visas in the U.S. Um, I guess, you know, critics of the president say that this is basically more about politics to kind of uh, please his base because he hasn't been able to start building the border wall like he said he would. Well, nearly uh, 40% is a number that we often hear. could be half of the 12 million illegals who are here currently that are overstays of their visa. The rest 
are those who have entered illegally. That's a big number. Uh, and so when you're talking uh, that we're hearing numbers from the Border Patrol, that these numbers are starting to tick back up. Yes, it's never was to the to the same numbers that it was under uh, President George Bush when he had deployed under Operation Jumpstart. There were six, seven hundred thousand just here in the Tucson sector that were apprehended in one year. So we're not seeing those numbers. But if we have three hundred thousand illegals uh, coming across the border that are apprehended, is that too many? I would say yes. I, I think because not only uh, we need a, a secure border, but it's not just about the illegals. It's about the drug cartels that we're fighting. Most of the heroin, 90 percent that comes into the United States is coming from this unsecured border. And then lastly, yeah. the national security concern that few talk about, that people from countries of interest, possible terrorist threats that can easily slip through an unsecured border uh, with Mexico. But, I mean, have, you know, the president talked about enemy, enemy combatants coming across the border. What's the evidence of that? Well, I, I could tell you, it, I don't look at it as in terms of enemy combatants. Uh, I, I served as a commanding officer for down in Yuma for a year and a half. And, and what we saw there, we didn't have rules of engagement. We had rules of force. Our soldiers and airmen did not have law enforcement authority. We actually served in direct support of our heroes in the Border Patrol, and it worked famously. There in the Yuma sector, we saw a 94 percent reduction in illegal entries and drug smuggling. So uh, it's, it's not right, a... But com- I mean, were, were there Mexico any actual not terrorists or enemy combatants coming across? Well, we saw there was next to nobody coming across because we had armed National Guard uh, soldiers and airmen that were directly on the border. And even at nighttime, very different than anything we've done in the military, we had a a bank of lights that actually lit them up, operated by uh, uh, a generator. So anybody south of the border could clearly see that, my God, there's armed soldiers right there. So uh, that acted as a a real deterrent. There was no incidents. There was no uh, conflict. It was just the fact that, hey, you're not coming across the border. And, and that's essentially okay. what the president is saying, that until the, the wall is built, he's going to deploy these soldiers. So I hope he does it in this capacity and not uh, mechanics or support in the offices or doing surveillance. Sure, Paul Babby, appreciate you being on as always. Thanks so much. Coming up from embassies to investigations, the, Ru- the Russia saga heats up. Diplomats expelled on both sides, as you know. Russian oligarchs entering the United States uh, questioned in several cases by the special counsel's team, we've learned. We'll talk to former CIA director Michael Hayden, get his take on that, and the president's desire to get troops out of Syria next. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current yes analyst. Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Russia's state-run media reported that buses carrying expelled U.S. diplomats left the U.S. Embassy in Moscow today. Russia kicked out diplomats from at least 23 countries, including 60 Americans, after an international response to the poisoning of a Russian former spy and his daughter in the United Kingdom. That case was the subject of a United Nations Security Council meeting that started today with a familiar-sounding accusation from Russia's ambassador, who called the poisoning allegations a, quote, fake story. 
Joining me now is CNN National Security Analyst, former CIA and NSA Director General Michael Hayden. General Hayden, does expelling personnel on either side make a difference as far as collecting intelligence is concerned? Because I mean, my understanding is that I mean, it takes a long time to get people trained up to be able to you know, get into Russia and do what the CIA does. Yes, it, it, it will make a difference, Anderson. Even though uh, the billets aren't being uh, forced away, the, the individuals are being kicked out, we can replace folks. But, but the training line for po- folks going uh, to Russia is quite long. And, and frankly, I think the Russians have a bit of an inherent advantage here. Uh, I, I think they will find it easier to replace their people than we will ours. Frankly, I think they have more people who speak English than we have people who speak Russian. And frankly, I think Russia is a more difficult operating environment, which requires more training than it is required for Russians who want to operate uh, inside the United States. So both countries will suffer. It'll take us a little longer to recover. I want to ask you about CNN's reporting about Special Counsel Mueller's team uh, has taken the step of stopping questioning uh, several Russian oligarchs entering the, the U.S., even searching electronic devices in, in some cases. What does that tell you about where the investigation is? And as the former director of the NSA, I'm just curious, is that the most effective way to net electronic communication? It's actually quite an effective way, and it takes advantage of, of provisions in law that, that allow governments at a border to actually have pretty in, invasive rights uh, into these kinds of electronic devices. Uh, there's another reality here, too, Anderson, that I, that I think we're seeing, and, and, and that's the use of the Russians of, of cutouts for what it was they did are doing with regard to the United States, social media, our electoral processes. Uh, Veselnitskaya, the lawyer who met with Don Jr. in Trump Tower, a lawyer concerned with orphans, not technically an an agent of Soviet or Russian security services. Kalimnik, the business partner for Manafort, who appears to have been the contact uh, with other members uh, of the campaign. Um, The Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg, the Troll Farm, all of these are indirectly connected with the Russian government, so they have plausible deniability. If you want to inject money into the American electoral process, doing it through oligarchs, privately, so to speak, gives the Russians that plausible deniability again. CNN also has some reporting on the president uh, at odds with his top military brass and national security team this week over whether or not to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria. Seems for now he's been convinced to hold off on what he had you know, talked about publicly last week. If you were advising the president, what would you tell him? Um, I, I go back to an example I used a day or two on, on, on air, Anderson, that when we plan to go do these kinds of things, we have four phases. Deploy, shape the battlefield, fight. That's the part we all call war. And then stick around to create stability on the ground, stabilization operations. Those who do this for a living know that if you don't do phase four, you get to do one, two and three again, three, five, seven years uh, in, in the future. Unfortunately, I think the argument with the president now between the president and his military advisors is not about phase four. It's about allowing them to finish phase three. And and so even if they talk the president into staying a little bit longer, it will be be about simply the combat destruction of the remnants of vices and not phase four, which is desperately needed. Otherwise, we turn the future of this region over to the Iranians to the Russians, to the Turks, and to the Syrians. 
So you're saying, I mean, if we're still at, toward the end of phase three, ISIS not completely de- destroyed, um, the amount of time then that you believe U.S. forces would be needed on the ground in mm-hmm. Syria is is even longer, perhaps, than the president might be imagining. Oh, I, I, I think that's right. And, and frankly, I think his senior military advisors believe and know that uh, in their heart, but they're dealing with the president who wants to leave. I mean, he, he really does sound like President Obama in 2011 with regard to to Iraq. The tide of war is receding. Al-Qaeda is on the run. It's time to do nation building at home. And of course, that's what we did in the year preceding the rise of ISIS and then the requirement for us to go back into the region and fight another war. Mm. General Hayden, appreciate your time. Thanks so much as always. Thank you. Just ahead, it has to be a busy night at the White House, a widening scandal involving the head of the EPA, Scott Pruitt. The president speaks out on that and other issues, repeating a false claim about millions of people voting illegally, and finally answers a question about adult film actress Stormy Daniels. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.